Welcome to another episode of United Ireland's 32 Questions, our Dublin-based South candidate special. We are here with Green Party's Claire Byrne. Claire has been a, a very effective Dublin City Councillor over the years. She's worked with, uh, especially with regards to being a livable city, with parklands, with cycling infrastructure, um, worked very effectively with Rebecca Moynihan as well when they were both in the council together. Um, and now she's gunning for a seat uh, for the Green Party for their leader's home constituency in Dublin Bay South. And we are going to um, deliver her very gently, uh, but also enthusiastically, um, and maybe in a challenging way as well, our famed 32 questions. Good morning, Claire. Good morning. Thank you are for you, having me on. Are you ready for your 32 cues? I am. Yes. Hit me. <laughs> what is your motto? Oh, uh, campaign motto or general life motto? Life. Um, <clears throat> has to be my, my, my Nana's one, which was, uh, I'm going to rock out, not rust out. Oh, yes. It. And I try, to, <laughs> I try to apply that. Uh, nearly every day. Do you think it was a good idea for the Green Party to enter in a, into a coalition with this government? Yes, I do. Um, and look, I supported us going into government and I, I did it with a really heavy heart because I was with the party, working with the party when we were in government the last time. And we know how that went, uh, <clears throat> I suppose. Uh, but so, yeah, I, I did it with a heavy heart. It wasn't... Um, it wasn't anybody's ideal coalition, I don't think. Well, arguably it was in a way the public's because that's the way the numbers st stacked up. But <clears throat> I suppose for us um, and for me, I've you know been an environmentalist and a climate activist for most of my life. So um, we couldn't afford to wait, couldn't afford to wait for the perfect coalition or uh, to wait another four or five years in opposition. We have to take urgent climate action now and to take action in other social aspects as well, including housing. Um, so yeah, waiting another four or five years just wasn't an option. So obviously we put it to our party and 76% of the party agreed with that. So um, we've gone in there and we've been working really hard and we're in there a year now and we've delivered on uh, many of the kind of core green aspects of the programme for government, um, particularly in the areas of climate action, um, housing, ending direct provision, uh, so yeah, it, I think so far no regrets anyway. Which living person do you most admire? Oh, that's a really difficult one. Politically or personally? Either. Either. They just uh, have to be alive. <laughs> uh, <there's laughs> uh, I suppose politically, um, I mean, you can't not have a political crush on AOC. She is just absolutely um just rocking it in terms of women in politics i think she's just such an inspiration um and uh just a, such a draw i feel for particularly young women to get involved in politics she's just she's really leading the change and leading the charge and um i love watching her live q a's on instagram and so yeah she politically she'd be my my current crush and uh in life um god that's tough one. that's a long list we'll stick with aoc that's an excellent one yeah um what is your current state of mind exhausted <laughs> 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 it's 
exhausted, but actually I'm kind of exhausted and really ener- energized in equal measures at the moment. Um, I think that's called going crazy. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, fine, definitely a fine line. <laughs> but no, like the, the campaign is really good fun. And it's really nice to, like I was just dropping the kids off to crash there and I ran into my colleague Thomas, who's all the way up from Limerick canvassing for me. And um, like people are coming from all corners of the country and it's just really nice to see people again. Um, uh, see my colleagues, see people I haven't seen in a really long time. And it's really nice to be back out on the doors chatting to people I represent because I haven't been able to do that for two years since the last elections. And um, yeah, and it's just the weather's good and everybody's quite solar powered. So yeah, aside from being really tired and not having a minute, um, I think overall my state of mind is pretty good. So. Uh, you were on the board of the National Maternity Hospital and currently mm. there's support internally uh, for the National Maternity Hospital to go ahead at Elms Park. Yes. But what What do you think is the way forward for this? Oh yeah, look, it's it's. I was on the board when um, when these negotiations were taking place, so I know what a protracted and fraught process it was to even get to the stage where it's at now. Um, in terms of clinical operations and the governance of the new National Maternity Hospital, I am absolutely convinced there will be no religious interference um, at all. The ownership issue is slightly separate. I think if we can own the land, absolutely, let's do it. And I think the government have sent a strong signal now that they will you know, certainly be exploring that and actively exploring that. Um, but for me, um, that's, the, that's the best outcome, but as long as it doesn't delay it, um, this has been a complicated process because it's a co-located hospital, but has to be a co-located hospital because um, you know, we've seen women unfortunately die in an ambulance trying to get through the traffic from Hollow Street out to Vincent's to get the critical care that they need. Um, I have both my children in Hollow Street. It is, they provide an unbelievably excellent level of care in there, but they do it in a Victorian building that has not been fit for purpose for an incredibly long time. Arguably probably never was. Um, So we need this new National Maternity Hospital and we need it really soon. It's already been eight years in the planning. Um, So uh, we need it, we need it for the staff who work in those hospitals. We need it for the women who are having the babies. We need it for their partners and we need it for the future babies of this country as well. So um, if we can proceed with full ownership of the land or a really, really tight, incredibly long lease like we have in Guinness, for example, the lease is like a thousand years or something, um, then great. But for me, the key thing is getting it built and getting it built quickly because the women and the babies of Ireland deserve it. Do you think assurances are enough um, that there won't be a, a Catholic ethos? Yeah, I think, I like, I genuinely think that's been made crystal clear um, by all parties, you know? And I think uh, the staff coming out recently as well, um, you know, explaining their position and those people who work there every day. Um, and like the Archbishop is technically the chair of the current maternity hospital. I know it's a, this will be a full national maternity hospital and, and, and a separate structure, a different structure. Um, and I think that I think probably looking at adding um, additional appointments onto the board, you know, the government appointments is probably a really good thing as well. 
um, because the existing board does have political representation on it as well. Um, but even with the Archbishop and the National Church Council at the moment, like there's no, there's never been any, like they're not even there during the negotiations around this, you know, so um, I think the insurances at the moment are, are clear, but if further debate is required for to bring people more comfort, then let's do that. Um, and as I said, if we can own it outright, then absolutely let's do that. But I just hope that all of that can move very, very quickly. When and where were you happiest? Oh, wow. Um, God, there's, there's loads of different levels of happiness. Sometimes I can just be happy lying in bed with the kids. Um, definitely very, very happy when I'm standing in a field at a festival. Um, <clears throat> but I suppose for me, in terms of happiness, I because I've had periods in my, in my life where I haven't been happy at all. Like I've, I've struggled with my mental health in the past, not in the last 10 years, thankfully, but um, had some pretty, pretty dark times. So any day where I feel good is, I just feel really grateful now to, to being able to come out the other end of that. So, um, so yeah, so that, that's happiness for me is just feeling, feeling good every day. You know, I don't feel amazing every day. Nobody does, but um just knowing that, that that I'm in a good place is, is happiness for me. Winner. As opposition parties take up more green credentials and mm. launch green bills, uh, can the Green Party continue to lead in the environmental sector? Yes, we can. Um, I mean, look, it's not, <clears throat> nobody owns environmentalism. You can't, like, you know, we're all living on this planet and we're all you know and in a way I think it's amazing to see other parties finally um discussing these issues you know do I believe it's a top priority for any other party no I don't and we're in government now when we went into government on on the climate and the social platform um social justice platform and we and we are delivering in that you know and I'm like I'm watching this campaign and, you know, everybody's talking about the need for public and active transport. Everybody's talking about the need for more green spaces. Everybody's talking about the need for immediate climate action. Yes. Um, and the need for housing, obviously, as well. And, the, and for me, it all ties in together. You can't have one without the other. You know, like taking climate action means building sustainable housing. And, and with that sustainable communities, it means reducing um commuting it means really investing in things that make a living city you know and, and will make Dublin the city for living again uh, while also protecting it for the future and uh, for me that's kind of, that just kind of excites me and excites me that we're in there at the moment and um, making those changes and you know when people talk about well we need retrofit pro programs I'm like well we've just invested 300 million in the retrofit retrofit program We've just secured even more funding through the recovery and the Re resilience fund, like 52% is going towards climate action programs, which include retrofitting our public housing, but also uh, finding ways to give private homeowners better access to low cost loans, grants, all of that. Like there's, there's a huge amount of work going, in, going on in that space at the moment because the Greens are in government. Uh, likewise, with travel and active travel, we flipped our budget from you know, the ratio is now two to one towards public transport away from roads. We're spending a million euro a day on cycling and walking. Like this stuff is unprecedented, but this is what we need to do because there's been decades of inaction on this by subsequent governments. 
Um, there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of tokenistic bills were published over, over the years. And that's why we've had to publish this really, really um, ambitious piece of legislation. We have a lot of catching up to do. Um, but it is ambitious and other countries are looking to us now um, you know, uh, in what we're going to do and the targets that we're setting and how we're going to do it. And it's going to be structured in such a way that will actually deliver that systemic change that we need. It's going to bring every sector, you know, every sector is going to have to play their part and every department uh, at a national level and a local level are also going to have to play their part because there's going to be accountability and they're going to have to report about how, you know, on an annual basis, how they're reaching their carbon budgets. And, you know, this, this is, this, as I said, this is completely unprecedented. It's absolutely the, the direction that we need to go. And I, I really don't believe that we would be setting such ambitious targets and, you know, seeking and actually delivering on the systemic change that is needed um, had the Greens not been in government. And we're bringing the, and we have to bring the public with us as well. Like there's not, you know, everybody has to play their part. And so we're all at the same time as um, like the legislation, we have the climate action plan as well, which is, you know, seeing what's delivered on the ground. But um, bringing the people with us is really important because we all have to be part of this journey together. And so we're investing a lot and doing a lot of work in terms of um, the national dialogue around climate change. And there will be, annual public consultations around the climate action plan so we can really feel you know hear from the people about what they need and what they want to see um, and we hear it all the time already I mean people do want more cycling they do want more walking they do want better waste management you know small things like just cleaning our streets you know I mean it, and it all ties in together and it all works towards improving quality of life for everybody while also safeguarding our future so could the housing crisis be solved by introducing a vacant tax rather than just relying on construction, given the number of properties that lie vacant in the yeah. constituency? And oh my God, when you canvass, you notice how many properties, like we were down in Aylesbury Road area yesterday and there yeah. was three really large, beautiful homes, um, completely vacant. And they've been vacant for a really long time because I've been canvassing in that area for a really long time. So it's brutal, isn't it? When you see yeah, that, it's just like it is. It is. Um, and like, I, I mean, it is difficult because a lot of the time, you know, well, we don't have, we don't have an effective register or list for a start, but it is difficult to do that because a lot of the time you're trying to trace ownership through families or people have died or, you know, um, you know, some people living abroad and, and there there is that. But there is also people sitting on properties and you know and a lot of speculation happening as well so I think what we would I mean we're very in favor of a side value tax which would help with that but in terms of our current system isn't really working because it's left to the local authorities to um to try and and uh get people to pay the vacant sites levy and uh you know we're not you know, that works in terms of rates and stuff for local authority. I don't think it works really in, in this instance. And so we'd like to see it restructured so that it's actually dealt with by revenue and that they can actively go after these people and that you would have, you know, after a certain period of time, you're going to pay higher taxes and higher and higher until something's done, but at the same time providing incentives for people to actually, you know, bring bring the properties back up to a spec where it could be rented or it could be sold. And that could be done through things like significant retrofit programs as well. So 
Um, but but that is something that we are looking at, and uh, I think it's definitely has to form part of of the solution to the housing crisis for sure. And revenue don't let anyone slip through the no, they don't. Fingers, they don't. <laughs> and, uh, and and that's and that's I think that's where we need to go with this. Uh, you know, yeah. If we're going to see any real action, what's your greatest fear? Uh, the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> same yeah um, <laughs> always has been uh that's why I do this job um yeah like ever since I saw threads when I was a kid and read this other book called children of the dust I've just been yeah obsessed and I suppose more lately like the handmaid's tale and all those kind of uh programs that you watch so yeah that's that is my my biggest fear is ending up in like the road and like trying trying to trying to carry my kids or run away with my kids and being unfit or any of those things yeah so yeah that that, that's kept me awake for probably most of my life and still does sometimes do you agree with the delay in opening indoor hospitality given the modeling projections around the delta variant yeah um it's a really difficult one it's absolutely crushing for the sector i don't know how many blows they can take um, but I guess with these variants we've seen, you know, when, you, when we cast our minds back to Christmas time, for example, and we didn't take the UK variant seriously enough and look where we ended up with 8,000 cases a day. And so I think we've put in, the people of Ireland have put in so much hard work over the last six months and sacrificed so much as has the business community in particular hospitality events culture um i think for us to undo that for a sake of another couple of weeks now would be um potentially detrimental it just uh, look i'm no health expert i don't know we have to trust the health experts and we've seen what happened when we haven't followed their advice so i really um as much as my heart breaks for the industry I think um, and for that sector I think we need to be cautious keep keep erring on the side of caution and at the same time making sure that we are providing enough outdoor space you know I think I you know and we have a meeting this afternoon the COVID recovery task force I want to ask about extending the pedestrian hours on Parliament Street and Capel Street for example to help those businesses through this period if we're going if um, of additional closure um, and just, yeah, just making sure that the businesses are supported as much as possible. What's your greatest extravagance? Oh God, I'm not very, I'm not very extravagant. I have money to be extravagant. My money goes on my mortgage and childcare. Um, I do still like things that glitter though, like glittery shoes and glittery coats and not that I have anywhere to wear them at the moment in the house, but we live, we live in eternal hope. Talk of changes to things like um, longer opening hours for parks or 24 hour opening. That kind of conversation around public space seems to have briefly dissipated um, now that the city life has is not as heightened um, um, and, and, you know, loads of people drinking on the streets and stuff has kind of calmed down. Is yeah. that stuff still a good idea in terms of the 24-hour parks vibe? Yes, I think so. Um, 
I think the pandemic has exposed where we haven't been investing in kind of critical infrastructure in the city, like basic facilities like toilets, despite my best efforts on the council over the last number of years. Um, and like, you know, I mean, we do, we, I suppose in, in a way during the pandemic, when I was, for me, even being refined to the 2K, I felt really, really grateful because I still had access to quite a few different, really beautiful green spaces. Um, but during the day and they close quite early. And so, um, and so we do need to definitely at least look at extending the opening hours, I feel like later in the evening. Um, but we have a funny relationship with public space in this country, I feel. Um, but I do think that where we haven't, you know, like I just, just to give Portobello Plaza as an example, or Wolftone Square, um, where, you know, Wolftone Square used to be a, like a beautiful green patch gated, fully, fully open to the public. Um, and then they concreted it over. So I suppose that was kind of the thing at the time and in the 90s or the, in the early noughties, probably was it in the 90s. And, um, and now we're looking at re-greening it, you know, because it hasn't worked as a space. And similarly with Portobello, and they concreted that over. And, um, and now I've been working for quite a number of years, even before the pandemic, on trying to redesign that space and make it a little bit more fit for purpose. Because I feel if you don't make spaces attractive, then it attracts a different type of behavior. And I don't know if you can really conflate this year or last year with previous years. There's been ongoing issues there for a really, really long time. I've been working with the residents and the council to try and find solutions for a really long time. But the pandemic obviously was a, another level. I mean, it's kind of, it was always like the Friday night of body and soul, you know, people just let loose and, you know, and that's understandable too, but there has to be a fine balance of, of respecting public space as well and respecting shared space and, and not everybody does that. And then that leads to bad reputation. And then it leads to extreme measures like gating spaces off or not opening them up late enough. And, you know, but I think if one thing we've learned is that we don't have enough uh, communal shared green space in the city, uh, we're working towards more um, in response to the pandemic. But I think we, we'll, you know, we'll be fighting certainly at a local and a national level to keep as many of those in place, but also to actively progress with other key projects like the pedestrianisation of College Green, for example, you know, because um, we don't have enough places to sit, you know. Well, like you know the way like you're talking about how like the sorry, this isn't a, isn't on the question on the list, but like with regards to the kind of the concreting and the and the ugliness and yes mm. like portobello um square or whatever you want to call it is is you know aesthetically not very pleasing but the unintended consequence of doing something like concreting a place meant that it developed this really thriving community within it of skateboarders mm. um who were not part of the shit show that unfolded around the pandemic and have for years been going about you know, finding, you know, uh, the cracks in, in the city where they can actually build their community and do their do their thing. So there is also a case for maintaining the communities that are not necessarily intended to be fostered, but actually end up doing so and do contribute to the culture of the city as well. Oh, 100 percent. And 
I mean, look, that's skateboarding to me. I mean, people have mixed, very mixed feelings about them. But what I will say is when the fight was taking place against the hotel that's going in on Portobello Square there, um, skateboarding community were right there with 30,000 signatures from around the city um, objecting to that hotel. Unfortunately, didn't have any impact ultimately uh, on the decision, the planning decision, but um, like just a really great community and and you're right, and they don't have anywhere to go anymore. Like I was, when they were redesigning um, uh, Central Bank, the old Central Bank, yeah. um, I put in a proposal to the developers at the time. I was like, you, you know, why don't you honor the long tradition of skateboarding there that was obviously stopped when they built the, the, uh, the fencing around it um, by, you know, incorporating some sort of, you know, really nicely designed skate park in there as a, as a nod to the long tradition in Temple Bar of skateboarding. And like, I just had a room full of men laughing at me, you know? Mm. And instead they've put a monumental Krispy Kreme on the ground floor exactly. and nine floors exactly. of WeWork, which yes. is yeah. solid. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we should get back to our 32 <laughs> questions. Okay, Andrea, go on. Do you think local government is running as it should or do you think it should be reformed? Oh, it needs to be reformed. It really does. and. God, if, if anything, the last few months as well has kind of highlighted that even further. And look, we, we all work really well together. There's, you know, I suppose in a way in, in the council chamber or the council Zoom as it is now, um, it's, it's very collegiate for, you know, 90% of the time until it gets to election time, you know, and I think that's, that's a great thing because we know it's a five-year cycle and everybody's just very focused on getting things done and most people are on the same page um, for, for the most part um maybe not over certain cycle routes etc but um it's uh but we we don't have enough power and um i mean we didn't before in ways even less since Fine Gael and labor uh, brought in their political reforms i mean for me we need to really restructure the system to devolve decision-making back down to the lowest level, you know? Um, and it's challenging because in a way we're sort of wedded to this, let not me, not my party, but other parties are sort of wedded to the legacy of the dual mandate. Um, and we still have many TDs around the country who, who you know, their, their success and their continued success is, is reliant on you know, delivering for constituents at a very, very local level. Um, rightly or wrongly, that's the system we have. But I feel if we were to give local government more power, if we were to pay councillors a little bit more so you could do the job full time, and that's part of the problem is that we all have, the majority of us, particularly if you're living in Dublin or in any of the cities, we all have second jobs because we can't afford to live off the wages, you know. And so you're always kind of chasing your tail and you're always... Um, you know, you never have the time to really dedicate properly. And we could get so much more done if we did, you know. Um, and then, you know, and I'm a great believer in letting local politicians deal with the local issues because you were elected by local people to, to do that and the national politicians to deal with the national and the European and the international issues because that's what I believe they were elected to do. Um, but that's not going to change until we have structural reform and real local government reform um, but again it's something the Greens and government are looking at my colleague Malcolm Noonan is um, minister for 
uh, political reform and, and, and it is something that's going to be looked at in the lifetime in this government, you know. Okay, we're going to get into a quick fire round. Are you ready? Yeah. What TD outside of your party do you most admire? Ooh. Um, what TD outside of my party do I? God, I'm so, I'm so focused on the, on the Greens in my own campaign at the moment. Um, that is a... Can I come back to that one in a minute? I've just drawn a complete... No, I can't. <laughs> Does it have to be a TD? Could it be a senator? TD. Um, who do who do I think is... Um, oh my God, I can't believe I'm struggling with this. It's so a really great think. endorsement of the doll here. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh who god oh holly 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 cairns sorry cool. yeah definitely sorry she's yeah i think she's awesome i wish she i wish she was in the greens her mum used to be in the greens actually years ago but um yeah she she's she's playing an absolute blinder isn't she yep if there was one td you'd like to see leave politics who would it be oh um <clears throat> I think the doll would be really dull without them, but I suppose just as an environmentalist and from a, uh, a safeguarding our future perspective. And I know where this is going. Massive work that needs to be done in rural Ireland and the agricultural sector. I'm going to have to put at least one of the Healy Rays on that list. What is the quality you like most about yourself? Oh, God, that's... Um... Uh, that I like people, I get, I get energy from people and that's why I enjoy this job actually. So. What would be your last meal? Pasta with a cold beer or a glass of wine maybe, followed by a cup of tea and some chocolate. What do you consider your greatest achievement? Politically or personally? Personally. Um, personally, I have to say my my kids <laughs> surviving childbirth and keeping them alive for the last five and two years but uh yeah my my kids um politically quite a few um getting elected after just six weeks in 2014 was a big one I was and then I suppose at the moment it's kind of nice going around the constituency again and sort of seeing evidence of my work like or evidence of my work being boarded up, like the pocket park at the bottom of Georgian Street, which I just discovered the other day, is being handed over to the Mercantile Group for their development, which is just like heart wrenching. Anyway, um, especially when we st we still don't have enough places to sit. Um, but then just you know small things like uh, you know I just got a public space resurfaced for this local community, and that's um, going to going to really change their lives for the rest of the summer as well and got them some funding to put planters and play play equipment in there and seats for the older people so um that's that's kind of nice I suppose on a larger scale um with the Poolbeg West development securing five percent cultural and creative um and 40 artist studios which I'm quizzing them on at the moment about what phase they're going to go in but that's kind of unprecedented in terms of planning in the country so I'm really really proud of that and the Pigeon House precinct is going to be a cultural hub as well. And that's something that I fought for also. So, um, so yeah, I'm quite, I'm, I'm quite proud of, 
of those things, I have to say. If you weren't working in politics, what would you see yourself doing? Um, I'd still be working in climate activism somehow, um, either from in an NGO perspective or <clears throat> I worked in environmental education for a long time and I worked in the festival industry as a sustainability co consultant for a long time as well. So I'd probably still be in either of those sectors or, but I, I also believe that, um, you know, we really need to support the business community in this massive shift that's going to take place. Um, and if I wasn't in politics, I'd probably like to put my experience um, into, into that in the future as well, you know, in, in different ways. But I think particularly in the cultural and the event sector as well, I think there's such an opportunity for that sector to, um, to help you know, deal with their own emissions, but do it in a really creative way. And that's something I'm passionate about. So yeah, I think that's possibly what I'd, what I'd be doing. If you could build one large facility or amenity overnight in the constituency, what would it be? Um, I would be actively progressing with the 900 social and affordable homes in the Poolberg West development. And things are happening. Um, but I suppose as well, you know, one of the key things about the Greens being in government is that we have fought really hard for the cost rental model for housing, which has worked across Europe and um, where we are building public housing and renting it back um, at the cost of the build. Obviously, we need to reduce the cost of building as well, which we're working on also, but um, and providing long term secure rental situations for people on mixed incomes. So you're really creating proper mixed communities um, and sustainable long-term housing for people um, and we'll have a new new definition of affordability soon and a legislative framework to deliver that a new affordable scheme with local authorities coming down the line as well which we haven't had for years and these are the mechanisms that are going to help us build the 550 affordable homes on the Poolbeg West SDZ that we fought really hard for because the residents have been worried for many years that there hasn't been any legislative framework or a mechanism to deliver those 550 homes and, and by the end of this dull term we will so, what's so your we favorite, need to get moving with that what's your favorite song to dance to um it is my favorite song to dance to is definitely uh stand on your word um larry levan or the i can't even remember the the Larry Levan extended mix of the the Larry um, Levan yeah. extended mix exactly yeah definitely up there not because of the God references obviously but um, just because I it just I have so many fun memories of festivals probably mostly Body and Soul Sunshine probably you guys riding there somewhere as well uh, <laughs> and just having the absolute time of my life dancing to that song so I can't wait till we can do that again there are very few clubs left in Dublin what one mm. thing would you do to protect and protect the ones that, that are still here and bring back more yeah well there's a few things we need to do is um, stop building hotels and student accommodation and handing over cultural venues to that I know it's a little bit too late but we are working in the new city development plan at the moment and uh, there's a massive consensus that that's exactly what needs to happen but we need a nightmare for the city and something I've been campaigning for for a really long time a nightmare or a night committee um, 
some office that is dedicated to the nighttime economy and nighttime culture in the city. And we're very close to getting that. I worked with Catherine Martin um, during the programme for government negotiations last year on the cultural section of the programme for government. And it, it made sure it was written in black and white that there will be a nightmare or let's explore a nightmare for Dublin City and the Nighttime Economy Task Force. Uh, the National Nighttime Economy Task Force, we have on Dumb City Council as well, but the national one has been looking at that and looking at licensing and all the different pieces of the puzzle that need to change to really revitalise our nighttime economy and do it in such a way where there's like there used to be something for everyone, you know, and now it's just really homogenous and um, I mean, like I don't get out that much anyway. I've got two small kids, but I, I just... I look around now and I think like, where's like, where are people going to dance beyond like, I don't know, Harcourt Street or, you know, um, so we need, we need a mix, but we're only going to do that if we, if we have a plan in place that brings everyone together. So, um, you know, we, we're we looking at licensing reform and staggering opening hours, but also providing the venues again and building multi-purpose venues, which we really need in the city as well. So you can have like markets in the daytime segueing into some sort of show and then, you know, a nightclub afterwards. And, and you know, this is working in every other city. There's no reason why we can't do that here, but we are actively working towards that um, at the moment while in government and and if I'm elected that is something that I really really want if there's one thing I would like to see for the city well there's many things I'd like to see for the city but I feel like the nighttime economy piece is something that we need to actively progress and I think it's critical to the survival of the city now post-pandemic as well it was important two years ago but I think it's critical now. You proposed the pride crossings in the city how come they ended up like postage stamps? <laughs> Firstly, I proposed a motion. They weren't my idea. That was Eddie McGuinness um, and had been on the table for quite some time. I just used my position to nudge them over the line. Um, <laughs> they weren't, they, okay, they weren't quite what, what had been envisioned. And like, I think what, it works really well on the Capel Street and then when, when we rolled, when it was rolled out to the wider junctions, it didn't, didn't quite have the same um, desired visual impact. Um, it was all done in a very short space of time. And we were led to believe that the colors would continue across. So it would be the full, the full length, but in Dublin City Council's defense, they did have to work very closely with a lot of the disability groups who had concerns about the impact. I mean, these are some of the reasons why we don't have normal zebra crossings, et cetera, in the city. Um, and so that this was sort of a compromise to make sure that we had something that would work for everybody and had full accessibility. So I still think they look great though. Like, did you see the, the aerial, view of the um the junction of georgia street and, and yeah, they're just bizarre that they're going that way as opposed to horizontally yeah and that that was for the um, that was for the disability groups is my understanding so what's your greatest regret in politics Ooh, politics um 
my greatest regret in politics just for my own personal yeah 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 I don't really have many um I could probably be a bit less emotional in the chamber sometimes I tend to I can get a bit scrappy sometimes it's that's okay emotions are good <laughs> well they are and sometimes you need to have a good fight you need to have a good fight um but yeah I mean I, I don't I mean look there are some things that we like in politics you're always having to compromise and, and make some decisions that you're not entirely thrilled about and you make concessions to make you know to present opportunities to make good decisions and get your own policies in place so um and, and that's how I've always worked and how I'll always continue to work um but I don't at the moment I don't have any any major regrets I just wish I had more I, really the biggest regret is that I wish like I said that we could do this job full-time and I had more time to dedicate to it we could get so much more done you know um, you see, spend an awful lot of. If you talk to most councillors, they tell you those who who aren't full time, they tell you, you feel guilty an awful lot of the time because you don't have the capacity and the bandwidth to keep chasing the answers and pushing for the issues. That's why everything takes so long, and people find it frustrating. And then people lose, um, they lose confidence in our political system. And I understand why they do, you know, because things do take a really long time. So if we could restructure and reform. So that we could get things done quicker it would just be so beneficial to the city i feel what issues are coming up most on the doors in dds um housing and uh, housing and, and climate and the environment you know <clears throat> i mean they're going to talk to me about that anyway i suppose when they see on the green party but genuinely people are are very concerned they're concerned obviously on on a global and a long-term scale but they're concerned about you know what's happening and what measures are are in place and what's coming down the line and what it's going to mean for them and um but it's a good conversation to have because it presents the opportunity to talk about the many positives to taking climate action and that actually it can have a really positive impact on people's quality of life um you know like getting people out of their cars and onto bikes and walking or scooting it's healthier you know it's healthier for kids it's healthier for parents it's healthier for society all around it's a way more social way of moving around you know like if you're walking or on a bike or on a scooter even you're way more likely to stop and have a chat with someone on the street than you are if you're driving around or just like pulling in and parking and running into a shop and running out because you don't you know because you've got to pay for the parking or you know so i i just think that's beneficial i think um you know like the retrofit program that we have in place and and the fact that it is you know directly targeted at helping people in low socioeconomic scale and people in fuel poverty um it makes people's homes warmer it deals with damp issues it makes them cheaper to run um and so people feel the financial impacts of that as well, as well as improving their quality of life. So that's, they're just two very small examples. Um, but yeah, like more green space is good for people's mental health. You know, I mean, we've, we've seen, again, we've seen the impacts of not having sufficient green space and access to, to quality shared space in the city. Um, so we need much, much more of that. Um, and we can do that by 
taking climate action by greening the city like it's not just about carbon sequestration it's also about making the city a nice attractive place to live in you know in a world um, oh sorry no, in, go a wor- ahead, go ahead. in a world free of restrictions describe your perfect night out Rogan's one word answer excellent <laughs> There can be sneering about the Greens' main priority being cycle lanes, and obviously that's not true, but mm. like it can be seen as that. But then you have Fine Gael leading their DBS campaign with a plan for a 15-minute city, which would obviously be dependent on cycling. How does that make you feel? Um, I find it quite disingenuous, I have to say. Um, yeah. For a start, the 15-minute city idea has been around for quite a while, and actually even before this by-election came up to be fair to Dublin City Council it was a key cornerstone of the next city development plan was this idea of a 15-minute city um and you know I suppose it's like I said earlier like I I think it's great that all parties are focusing on for me which are the two critical issues are housing and climate um but you can't say that you're supportive of this infrastructure and that that's what we need and we need a 15 minute city and then your entire voting, voting record on Dublin City Council is, uh, has been against this kind of critical infrastructure. Yeah, that I we, guess that, it, that's been said that we need. You know? Can I just ask something, Claire, again, sorry to sidetrack, I know we're kind of running over a bit, but like, you know, it must be very difficult to see um, a candidate that Fine Gael is running uh, that doesn't that is that that, you know, really encapsulates this kind of superficiality of that neoliberal state, whether it's, you know, on purpose or not. But that, um, you know, you have these buzzwords and 15 minute city things and like, you know, this this uh, veneer of enthusiasm or progress. But there isn't any record um, to show that from that candidate. So, you know, you guys are in government with with these people. Um, mm. This is this is a characteristic of Fine Gael, that there is a a thing, a kind of a, a shop front of, um, you know, this kind of superficiality with regards to the signifiers of progress or modernity or things like that. But behind it, as we've seen over the past decade, and I, I, you know, I'm, I hear you talking about all these ideas for the city and you've been talking about them for a long time and I've been writing about them for a long time. But you also said this thing that it's too late. And you know what? It is too late for Dublin at this point in time. And it has been made too late because of a decade of this kind of politics where there's so much stuff on the surface and behind it, the power, the land, the facilities, the amenities, the potential is effectively handed over to private interests until you wake up one day. And what I was saying to Andrea before we got on the call, loads of my friends are leaving again. Mm. I mean, this this is not 32 questions. I know, but I'm just (laughs) saying, I like, you know, we talk about the superficiality of the candidate, like, you know, it's, 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 and, and the politics rather than, okay, the candidate may personify something, but the politics is so disingenuous and when you guys are as a green party are trying to actually make the most seismic changes that can be done globally all green parties that must be fucking impossible to watch on on this campaign yeah it's pretty hard stuff (laughs) 
it's hard to stomach with a lot you know like there there is that and then there are other parties and i'm not going to name names but there are other parties who are claiming to you know want to prioritize climate action yet they won't they won't fund it they'll they'll oppose any type of progressive taxation that will directly fund these initiatives like for who, are you example, who, are, who are you talking about Sinn Féin I am they oppose a carbon tax you know and we made sure in the last budget that we have um that the carbon tax is directly hypothecated back into retrofitting poor people's homes increasing the fuel allowance you know and that that for me is progressive taxation and that's the way that we need to go we can't keep just taxing people's income you know and we have to fund these projects we have to you know capital investment now you know it it is too late but it isn't too late at the same time and this is why we are in there and making sure that the capital decisions that are being made right now and taking like i said full advantage of the the finance that's available now as a result of the pandemic like we fought to make sure that 52% of the recovery in the resilience fund was going towards climate related infrastructural projects because because we don't have time to wait you know um and it's but yeah it, it is difficult but you know what at the same time i i believe in what i do i believe in what we do we're the real deal we will make the hard decisions we will go into government with anyone and we will make the hard decisions and stand over them you know and because that's that's what you have to do that is the that is where we are and we are you're right we are in there trying to deal with decades of bad housing policy decades of no genuine climate policy um and and it's it's difficult and it is frustrating but that's why i'm running in this election you know um I love being a councillor, don't get me wrong. And I, you know, we, we can affect change. And I think I've, I've a good, a decent enough legacy behind me. Um, but for me, it's like I had to take the opportunity and step up and get another green voice in there to strengthen our hand because, it, you know, we are the progressive voice in government. We are the genuine green voice in government. And we have to grasp this opportunity to take immediate climate action, to deal with the housing crisis in a way that actually will build affordable housing, build it quickly, but also build communities, you know, and move away from this policy of 15 stories of build to let, you know, move away from focusing on a transient community and really focus on making Dublin a city for living and that you can afford to live in and that you can afford to stay in, Andrea. I'm the same. Like my friends have, like we moved into our house just under two years ago and I had, just after I'd had or had my second baby not that long afterwards. And then, and I had two or three friends who all lived close by and we all had babies around the same time. And it was all really lovely. And we were hanging out in each other's houses and having crack and maternity leave and hanging out in the parks and it was magic. And then the pandemic hit. And now most of those people have gone. They've all left mm -hmm. Dublin. And, and I worry, I really worry about what that's, going to mean so we have to make we have to start making decisions now we have to make the investments now and we are doing that um it's going to take time things take time but um you know i'm 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 kind of proud of my party for stepping up and leading the charge on this because i just i don't trust any other party to 
to to really deliver and to make the hard decisions that are required to to make sure that we go in the right direction we have no choice as we come out of this pandemic you know the future always has to be green but it really has to be green now and we can't afford to miss this opportunity okay we're going to get back to our questions that was a, a diversion sorry <laughs> a sorry one, andrea a good one. come on let's go, go. quick fire post politics how would you like other people to remember your work mm, um to oh how would i like to remember my work to i suppose to be able to see evidence of my work and know that i you know that i fought really hard to um to take genuine climate action at a local level, but also that I've fought hard for the culture and the creative communities in the city as well. They would be my two, two legacies. Now, absolute quick fire round. I want one word for each of the other okay. main Dublin Bay uh, South con- candidates. James, Ivana, Sarah, Deirdre and Lynn. James. One word for yeah. each of them. Um, Oh God, this is really hard. <laughs> Come on, Claire, got to do it. James, um, nice. Ivana. <laughs> one word, I'm only allowed one word. Yeah, Ivana. Yeah. Uh, inspirational. Sarah. Um, also quite inspirational, I have to say. Deirdre. Um, Deirdre is nice. <laughs> Lynn. Um, good. Lynn's a good politician. I know that's two words. Sorry. She is. I don't know her very well. It's, it's kind of difficult because I know Sarah and I know Lynn. So I'd probably, I'm probably just like, sorry, I know Sarah and I know Ivana, should I say. Uh, so I'm probably just a little bit more bias towards them um but uh grant yeah. <laughs> that was really that was really hard that's hard i'm sorry what's <laughs> what's been the most difficult moment for you personally throughout the pandemic era um oh i found it very oh look we all found it really hard didn't we um i think my partner's in the high risk category so I think I found that very very stressful and once he got vaccinated I was just like oh god I think I didn't realize how much I'd been carrying that around with me for for a year and likewise with my mom as well and like it's just such a crazy feeling that just going on and your day-to-day um just going about your day-to-day business could put you and your loved ones more importantly your loved ones at risk you know like we're you know completely weaponized in a really weird way and Mm. I, I I struggled I struggled with that and the anxiety around it and like everyone trying to work with the kids at home and you know but no but definitely I think the 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 underlying constant worry about my partner and the father and my kids was how much damage has infighting leadership jostling and people leaving the party done to the greens do you think oh yeah it was a difficult it was a difficult period um 
um, yeah, that was hard. And, and, it, and it was it was all kind of happening peak pandemic as well. And I actually think the pandemic probably had a lot to do with it because all the negotiations, you know, all the negotiations and the decisions that were being made, the majority of them were happening remotely and people for a party, I think that, you know, we thrive on connectivity and closeness and um, and cohesion and and so to not have that at very critical times in in the future of our party, I think definitely had had a very negative impact. Um, and then there were people who just weren't, I suppose, weren't satisfied with the overwhelming majority of support to go into government, and um, and that presented its own difficulties as well. Um, like, yeah, it, it's is. It was hard because it's not anything that I've I'm with the party 16 years. I've never really seen seen well, every party has its difficulties and its challenges internally. But I think it was the very public nature of that that I struggled with the most. Um, but I feel like it's in the past now, which is really good. Um, and, you know, this this campaign has been great for the party. Um, just as I said people are coming from all over and we're seeing each other in person and it's just it's just great and it's like oh yeah now I remember why we do this now I remember why we're in this party together and we're all we all have the same goals we all have the same shared vision of the future um, and I think we're, we're we're really back on track and that's that's a really really great thing and I feel really honored to be um to be part of that I have to say it's it's yeah it's it's great uh, it's really great it's great like it's great to be able to see everyone and it's great to watch what a unifying experience this has been for my party again and your final 30 second question what do you think sets you apart from other candidates running in DBS aka why should people on who are on the fence vote for you um well I've been a councillor for seven years um, I've experienced and I've worked as a party through both terms of government, so I've kind of local and national experience that I don't think any other candidate has. Um, I'm a female and we're in government, so we can and can deliver. We can't afford to wait in terms of housing. We can't afford to wait in terms of climate for uh, the next government. Or So in a way, putting somebody in opposition isn't going to tackle these challenges in the immediate way that we need to. Um, and... I'm, I'll be a progressive voice in government and one more green voice in there will strengthen our hand and make sure that we set this country and this city um, on the right path to recovery. Claire Byrne, those are your 32 questions. Thank you.